the reading from today is taken from Haggai, chapter 2, verses 10 to 23. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests of what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest answered. It becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed in the barn, yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Thanks, Haiti. So we're going to finish our series, um, short series uh, through Haggai. Um, and if you're wondering what led to chapter 2 and this conclusion, do go back um, to read chapters 1 and 2. But let's pray that God will speak to us through this passage today. Lord, we thank you for your living word, that it is your word that created the heavens and earth, and your word that calls us um, and gives us new life in you. And we pray that your word will come to us this morning and plant these words deeply in our hearts so we might bear fruitful, uh, we might uh, bear fruit 30, 60, 100 times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Glenn Pearson is a writer who writes that his dad was abusive. He would only come, he says, to come home to sleep and eat and to uh, berate him and his brother. In Matthew 7, 9, Jesus asks, uh, asks, which father would give him a stone when his son asks for bread? He says, I'd like to nominate my dad for that. He was a miserable man who later committed suicide by jumping himself into, uh, throwing himself in front of the train 
His brother also committed suicide. And he says as he was growing up, he was repeating the pattern that he has received to, to the people around him. But then he went to college and he met Jesus there. And years after, he went to counseling to try to make sense of his life. And the counselor one day stopped him. He said, there's no explanation for you. In my professional opinion, someone with your background should be unemployable, divorced three times, abusive, an alcoholic, and some kind, or some kind of an addict. The fact that you're none of these things is a testimony to God's incredible grace. You're a testimony to God's incredible grace. We sometimes take God's grace for granted, don't we? What were you like before you became a Christian, before you met Jesus? For some of you, Jesus literally was a lifeline, somebody who delivered you out of despair and perhaps death itself. For some of you, Jesus might have delivered you from restlessness, the sense of uh, not having a purpose in life, feeling of emptiness or self-righteousness or selfishness in your relationship and in your life. For some of you, God has given you a sense of peace and purpose um, for the future. Some of you are like me, though. You've grown up in the church and you go, I can't imagine what what life would be like. I've always been a Christian or I've grown up in the church knowing Jesus all my life. But even for uh, people like me and people like you, well, you can imagine, can't you? Because you know what you're like when you're alone in your thoughts. You know what you're like um, in 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 the depth of your hearts. And you know, if you're honest with yourselves, that it's a mess, that you are a testament to God's amazing grace. And for all of us, God has rescued us from sin and the result of sin, our punishment, hell. And in this final section of this short book of Haggai, God pictures for his people what they were like before. He says, remember what you were like before I showered you with my blessings. And then he says, count these blessings, count this day, and, and, and consider this day carefully because from now on I will bless you. These will be the days of blessings. And then he says also that he will be, they will be ruled by God's ruler, Messiah. Well, most commentators think the verse 15 and 18 uh, say that this is a special day. If you look at verse 18, this is the day when they're laying the foundations of the temple. For three months, they were digging, they were removing the stones, and they were preparing for this day. And now a special day had come when they are now laying the foundations of the temple. But before they do, God recalls for them what they were like before this day. Before they had put God at the center of their lives. He brings the priests these questions. Verse 12, if someone carries a consecrated meat in the fold of the garment, does it make the things it touches also consecrated? And the second question, verse 13, is about defilement. If somebody is defiled, touches dead things, do they spread uh, the defilement? The first question, no, the holy things are not contagious. They do not spread, but defilement does. And we know this, don't we? I mean, you don't send healthy young children into the hospital to touch all the unhealthy kids. 
But the opposite is true. You know, my kids go to school. If one kid is sick there, the sickness spreads. The defilement easily spreads. And, but these weren't questions that were testing the competency of the priests. God was making a point, verse 14. So it is with my people and this nation in my sight. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. God's holiness did not make them holy. And now, instead, they were defiled, even though they had the temple in their midst for a long time. They were defiled. They were rotten to the core. And not only they were rotten, they were spreading their sinfulness around the world. Uh, In 2020, we went through the uh, series through Ezekiel, and we saw how rotten they actually were. There, God condemned Israel, uh, Jerusalem, which he says he put at the center of the world. Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 5, God says, I put Jerusalem at the center of the world. But, verse 6, she has rebelled against my law and decreased more than the nations and the countries around her. They sinned even more than other countries, God says. And at the center of Jerusalem is the temple. That was the source of the problem. And so God takes Ezekiel in a vision to the temple itself, to the heart of the temple. And there Ezekiel sees priests and elders bowing down to idols of jealousy, crawly things, unclean animals, and later on to the God of the sun, sun east, they're worshiping the Egyptian God at the heart of the temple. You see, Israel, before the destruction of the temple, leading up to it, they were rotten to the core. They were dead inside. Instead of showing the world the greatness of God, they were spreading defilement in the world. And so God banished them from Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, sent his people into exile. But when they came back, many years later, they still had not learned their lesson. Their lives were still disordered, and they neglected the worship of God. And that's what we saw in Haggai, how their lives were disordered. They put their priorities over their relationship with God. They lived in the place of curses. And God says, remember those days. Friends, I wonder if you recall what you were like before you became a Christian. I asked uh, Mary what she was like, and she, her short answer was, I lived for me. I lived for me. And then she quickly added, uh, I lived hedonist- hedonistically, aggressively, ambitiously, and I often felt lonely. Not that different from how Paul describes the before picture to the le- in, um, in his letter to the Ephesians. As for you, you were dead in your trans- transgressions and sins in which you used to live, gratifying the, s- the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, were by nature deserving of wrath. We lived aggressively, ambitiously, selfishly, serving our idols, expecting much because idols promise much, but constantly wanting more because idols do not deliver. They do not satisfy. And on this day, God reminds them of what they were like. 
And we ought to remember what we were like. We were, by nature, deserving of God's wrath. You might not like to hear this, but we, by nature, deserve hell and judgment. But each day, we receive so much more than what we deserve. And if you're a Christian, you enjoy this relationship with God, and you receive so much more than what we deserve. Church, remember the days of curses. And remember the days of blessings as well. To these people who were living in this dry, desert, cursed land, God called Haggai to go into the people and, say, and, and told the people to build the temple, to prioritize their relationship with God. No, God doesn't dwell in a temple. God doesn't dwell in a building. Heavens and earth cannot fill Him contain God, but the temple was a symbol of God's presence in the midst of Jerusalem, in the midst of God's people. The temple was the place where God promised to meet his people, to have a relationship with them. Through the temple sacrifice of thanksgiving and fellowship offerings and sin offerings, they could be forgiven. They could uh, know what it means to be in relationship with them and have a relationship with them and enjoy his blessings. So God called them to himself and told them to build the temple and put him at the center of their lives. And exactly after three months, after the work had begun, now they're laying the foundations of the temple. And God says, now, mark this day. Because this is a special day when you're laying the foundations of the temple. In chapter 1, God told them to give careful thought to their ways and see how they should repent. And now here in verses 15 and 18, he repeats a similar phrase, give careful thought to this from, they, uh, from this day and on. Give careful thought to, to this from this day and on. Remember this day and see what difference it makes. Why? Verse 19, because from now on, I will bless you. Because from now on, I will bless you. This was the day when their, their lives were turned around. He won't wait until the temple is finished. This is, remember, laying the first stone, the day that they're laying the foundations. And he promises his blessings for, as the work begins, as the building work begins. He promises to bless them even though they are still without a temple and they are still defiled. God is so eager to bless. God is so eager to have a relationship with us, isn't he? I think we see the same in the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal son, the father was waiting day and night for this son to come back to the fold. And when he sees the son returning from afar, what does he do? He doesn't wait. He goes after the son. And it doesn't matter that he hasn't said a word of apology. He, it doesn't matter that he has treated his father as if he were dead. He embraces the son. He gives him everything that he has. It's, his, it's as if he's been wanting to say, I want to bless you, my son. I will bless you from this day on. I will bless you. I'll be with you, and everything that I have is yours. Church, that is how God is, and God has been towards us. 
we are still far away from where we should be. If you're honest, we are still rotten in our core, aren't we? We're still selfish. We're still aggressive. We still live for our ambition. We're proud and lustful, jealous, petty, unforgiving, distrustful, unfaithful, hateful, sometimes despairing. And we as a church are far away from what we should be. And yet, with the whisper of, Father, forgive me, at the whisper of, Lord, we want to build your house, God gives us every blessing. Paul writes to Ephesians that we're blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Chapter 1, verse 3. Today is the day of the AGM, annual general meeting. So let's give careful thought to how God has blessed us. God has blessed us as individuals and also as a church. As a church... God has been gracious to us. This past year, God sent us new co-workers. And the Lord, Sawai has joined us. Pauline is now on the staff. Candy has joined us. There are people who have turned and became Christians um, uh, this past year. There are many newcomers who have joined us. And you'll hear from Kevin, our treasurer today, that we're debt-free, um, that we paid off all our debt uh, to St. Andrews. And we're enjoying the eagerness of God's grace and blessings that we do not deserve because God is gracious to us, not because we're so holy, not because we are as we should be, but because God's eager to bless. Give careful thought to God's blessings. And God's blessings come chiefly through knowing and worshiping and have a relationship, having a relationship with the Messiah, our King, um, it was unusual uh, in Haggai. This is the only time unusual for two oracles, two words to come on the same day to God's people. But uh, as we look to verse three, uh, 20, we see that God's oracle comes again to Haggai, this time specifically to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the governor of Judea. That's how he's been described thus far. He was appointed by King Cyrus to lead the exile pe- people back, the first contingent back, in, uh, back to Jerusalem. And he was appointed as the governor of Judah. A uh, more important detail for us is that Zerubbabel uh, was uh, 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 someone in the line of David. He was the grandson of Israel's last king, Jeconiah. And look at the promise in verse 23. On that day, says the Lord Almighty. See here, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. He's no longer referred to as the governor of Judah. He's referred to as the son of Shealtiel. Why? Well, underscoring his Davidic line. He is son of David. He comes in the line of David. He has kingly blood in him. And God promises that he would make Zerubbabel a signet ring, for I have chosen, for you, uh, I've chosen you. The signet ring is something that represented God's authority uh, himself. Uh, so the, 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 the king would use the signet ring to mark a document to say, this is, I am with this document. 
And God is, ma- God is saying Zerubbabel will be enthroned as God's king, God's representative over his people, that he would be the king, except that he never does become a king. In fact, after this, Zerubbabel sort of fades away from the Old Testament. Does this mean that God's word has failed? No. We ought to know that when God makes a promise to someone, often what God has in mind is his descendants. God sees them as one. And the most famous example that I I, I imagine that you would all know is um, Abraham. God makes a promise to Abraham, doesn't he, that you will inherit this land, except that he dies without even, uh, he only has a single plot of land where he and his wife Sarah will be buried. That promise is fulfilled only 400 and some years later when his descendants come back and inherit the promised land. And you see, God, this promise was, uh, is about Zerubbabel's descendant and how his son will inherit this throne. God will make a king from Davidic line, a king again. So almost 600 years later, Matthew writes his gospel, and he starts his gospel with the genealogy, and it ends with this section. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, and so on until the Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary was the father, mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. God fulfills this prophecy by sending not just somebody who represented his authority and power, by becoming a king, becoming a son, becoming a human being to rule over his people, to be enthroned as king over his people. But if you transport yourself back 600 years before this, uh, this fulfillment, think about how ridiculous this must have sounded to Zerubbabel. He was just a little governor of Judah. And God is saying, I will make you, even if he thinks that this is about his descendants, he must have thought that this is a ludicrous uh, a promise because Judah, Israel, was not even, a, even a, a nation. And it was a small little dot surrounded by world's great powers, Egypt, Persia, um, later on Greece and Rome, uh, Babylon, and so on. Davidic kingdom seemed to have ended, and yet God's promise is true. And yet it became true. Jesus is and enthroned as the king. And while all these other kingdoms are gone, Jesus reigns over the whole world. And we are a testament to his rule that there is a king enthroned still over the world, that Jesus is the king over the world. We are the sign of God's kingdom that has come, and we will be the sign that will testify to that, uh, to, uh, to eternity. We, the church around the world, are the proof of his reign. Now, horse racing is a big thing in, in Hong Kong, isn't it? And people bet if you're... I, I, um, what if, like, in the fashion of sort of Back to the Future, say that you were given a book that had every single odds 
and every single winner of horse races in Hong Kong. Well, what would you do? Each time, you would take the book and you would find the one with the biggest odds, which means it's the horse is unlikeliest to win. And you would bet on that horse because you know that that's the winner. Friends, it was unlikely that Zerubbabel would be enthroned as the king over the whole world. But he was. Even, even Jesus came, and even when Jesus came to reign over the world, it seemed unlikely, didn't it? He was born in a manger. He died. Uh, he he, he uh, was um, in, uh, crowned with crown of thorns, and he died a criminal's death. And yet he's, we know him as the king. And the church, his people, this kingdom that exists around the world, well, if you compare it to the mighty nations of the world, China, America, Russia, or whatever, we, the church, well, we seem like nothing. We seem like people just gathering on Sundays, meeting for Bible studies or whatever. But the church is not nothing it's God's people who know him as king, and it's God's kingdom that has arrived here on earth. And take a look at verses 21 and 22 again. There will be another exodus, it promises in verse 21. There will be another shaking of the heavens and the earth. The heavens and earth will shake once again, and all powers that are not under Christ rule will be shaken away like they are nothing. And all that will remain is the church. All that remain will be God's people dressed as beautifully uh, dressed as a bride, beautifully dressed, shining God's glory. So in this day of the AGM, let's commit ourselves to this work, to building each other, to grow in Jesus, to share our life, to reach the world. Let's work to build His house so that we may be a church that bears fruit 30, 60, 100 times, so that City One, Sha Tin, and Hong Kong and the world will be able to see what it means to have the curse of death to be lifted, what it means to enjoy God's blessing, what it means to rule under the benign and good rule, perfect rule of our King Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is true. Uh, 500 years later, this prophecy, you enthroned Jesus as the king over the whole world. And 2,000 years later, we can see that it is the church that endures. And through these words and through the words of the Bible, we see that it is your bride that will last eternity. Lord, help us to have your perspective Help us to be part of building what you are building in the world and help us to bear fruit 30, 60, 100 times, not just for our sake, but for the world's sake, the world that groans and moans under the curse of sin and death. Help us to show the world what it means to be blessed by you, what it means to know you as our King. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. 
and send us out with your authority to bless the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.